Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the Talking Toro podcast. I'm here as always with my co-host Peter Bourne. Uh, it's been a little bit of uh, time since uh, Torino's last game, which was a 1-0 victory uh, in our notoriously b- bad place to go of, uh, of Verona. But unlike, I, I, well, I've, I felt like this was an ep- this was a, a match which was sort of... Um, Disproving some of the things that I'd said on the previous episode, because I'd said we didn't score, we don't score from from long range and outside the box, and we also had a bad record in Verona. We obviously won thanks to a, a Nikola Vasic goal from outside the area. So I feel like I was the the sole reason and the motivation for this victory. Um, Peter, what were your what are your thoughts on the game? I think you stole my intro. You stole all my jokes this week. Let's just end it now. Uh, yeah, I think it was a. A pretty controlled performance. I was really well. Not, I wasn't disappointed by Verona. I was quite happy with the way Verona played. But for a team with four games to go, this was probably well one of their two easier fixtures on paper. I thought there was no aggression. There were no duels. There was no kind of urgency. I thought their best player was Tameze, and, and he had his um, shirt sleeves rolled over his hands all game. It, uh, just, I didn't think was a, the, the kind of most uh, yeah firefighting look either. But um, apart from the Lazovic chance at the start of the second half, they didn't really offer very much. But Torino just sucked, I wouldn't say sucked the life out of the game. It was complete control of the game. Um, and we've often struggled in the games where teams have matched us up. We've often struggled in games where we're going to have more of, more of the ball and having to, to create something. Um, but I just thought the overloads we created, we'll talk a little bit about Bongiorno's performance because I thought it was fa- fantastic. Um, but Juric found a solution where he was able to to kind of create uh, superiority in the, in the final third by recognising that Verona weren't really much of an attacking threat and, <clears throat> and pushing our forwards on. Uh, you know, the moment where I realised we won the game was... I can't remember who went off for Verona about 20 minutes in, but they brought on the player I hadn't heard of called Diego Coppola. And nothing against Diego Coppola. We may well sign him for next season, but he just looked like a competition winner. He looked so happy to he looked so happy to be coming on. And I just he just had this face like I don't know, it's this lad he's delighted to be here, but he can't be that good then. Um but yeah, just it was, that that just, definitely just, had the potential to bite you in the ass if uh, he'd gone and scored an equaliser. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have tweeted that. It, um, I, 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 this is a, a thing which I think is maybe exclusive to English football. But when players come off the bench and then the crowd chant "Who?" is something which always haunts me because, like, what? Like you're literally as if he's as if it were, if it, even if it's play you've genuinely never heard of. Like that's given him extra motivation to go and score and and sort of get his own back. So yeah, thankfully I've never actually witnessed that in a um, in an Italian stadium. But yeah, maybe maybe that could have um, could have happened, but thankfully not. No, well, it's it's quite a funny moment. About three days earlier, I was I had a text ready to go to. You. I was watching the Juventus Seville, Seville games. I love watching Juventus play in Europe. It's just always uh, it's always quite good fun. And uh, they had that 96 minute corner, and I saw Gatti go up. And I was just like, thinking, actually, I know Gatti's had a few uh, moments in Europe this season. Just for context, Torino were kind of minutes away from signing Gatti in the last in the January transfer window of last season. And then Juventus gazumped us. Um, and I was about to reflect, well, we've, it's a pretty, pretty lucky escape because. We've signed Scherz was effectively the player we were signed in his place, and then literally, as I was about to ping the text to you, Gatti rises and scores from the corner. I was just like, I that's basically my assist, and the, the point still stands, but I didn't send the message because it was just like, Yeah, uh, <clears throat> I won't be doing that again, but yeah, no, I, I, I know what you mean, but um, I, I guess the slightly frustrating thing was we just we we actually did create chances in the eventually in the second half. and yeah, we're a little bit wasteful in, in front of goal and it, it it could have cost us. Um but yeah, I think there was most players walked away from that game with you know a lot of credit in the bank really and we've set up who knows if it's eighth place what it will lead to. There's a lot of variables with Fiorentina in the Coppa Italia final with um with the European the outcome of the European competitions with the Juventus case, um whether they do get banned from Europe. 
but it puts us in a pretty good position. We'll talk about Fiorentina later. If we can beat a very distracted Fiorentina this weekend, it's probably a shootout between ourselves and Monza for for eighth. So um, um, you do feel that Monza could be sort of side given their sort of rise to prominence in recent seasons. I mean, they don't know what their situation in terms of UEFA licenses, which are things that we've come to learn about with Torino and getting into uh, European football in recent seasons. But yeah, whether that does seem is pretty new to me in in thinking that you actually have to apply to UEFA to even get a a license to be able to play in European football. I think there's been teams who have not been able to do that previously. Um, So yeah, I agree. I think if I think if we can, we'll get onto Fiorentina a little bit. But we've got. For various reasons, probably two of our three remaining games, teams are going to be thinking about different things other than the game. Whereas, obviously, we are, we've got one sort of priority, which is to try and get as many points as possible. And I think it would be if Juve got kicked out of Europe for whatever reason and we didn't finish eighth, I think there'd be that tinge of regret. So, I think if we can finish the season strongly and, and, and manage that. Eighth, eighth place finish that would be a, a, a much something to at least take into next season if it even if European football doesn't come with it yeah and I think the good thing with the conference league is as well it's probably it's definitely easier than the Europa League to progress as well so you hopefully you're not going to meet a Wolves in the preliminary round in August when you've barely had a pre-season um, so yeah, there's there's an opportunity there to to go quite deep in the European competition as well. So it's a bit of a starter kit for for teams for a lot of teams in Europe. So, um, yeah, it's good. I think there's a, probably a few few points from the Verona game. Um, different players to talk about. Obviously, Vlasic scored his first goal in around six months I'd say yeah um, well, it did have the World Cup technically scored some penalties for Croatia and World Cup penalty shootouts but yeah I, I did didn't add, on the app I used for uh, statistics and things it actually didn't go that far in his previous games so I had to I had to go on to another website to find out his last goal was against Sampdoria in November yeah so a little bit before the World Cup so yeah. it's right I've listened to a few uh I read a few things on Toro forums and stuff about uh, we're in the period now where the kind of negotiations of, of, of the kind of on loan players and who who to keep and who not to keep. And there's a kind of an argument going around that Torino should try and re-sign as many of the players as possible because there's a risk. What we'll do is get to the end of August, sign new players on loan and start again from scratch. Whereas if we started next season with players who've been integrated under Juric for a year... Uh, we're going to be starting in a much better position. I think there's, there are some pros and cons. I think I do have some reservations. I think we're talking here about Moranchuk and, and Vlasic in particular. I have some, a few reservations about them both. But there is also an argument. We know what we can expect from them. I think Moranchuk, if you can get out... It's a funny thing to say. If you can get more consistency out of him, I'd just like to get a bit more aggression out of him and a bit more... Um, <clears throat> yeah, and no, I just maybe get him involved a bit more and Vlasic um, yeah sometimes it's just finding the right position for him on the field a bit I think if you the really frustrating thing is that between the two of them if you combined their attributes you'd almost have the perfect player if you had Vlasic's work rate and tenacity and sort of desire to even in the sort of 93rd minute chase chase down like lost cause basically that and not to be too disrespectful to Vlasic, he scored a very good goal at the weekend, but Moranchik's probably a more technically, naturally gifted player. If you had a, a, a mixture of the two together, I think it would be a really, well, probably wouldn't be at Torino. <laughs> probably shouldn't, wouldn't be at Torino, so maybe I shouldn't say that. But um, I think they both have their pros, but then also their cons. I think it. I think the deal would always depend on on the price and what, what sort of we can negotiate down to. I think if if the Vlasic deal was sort of around the figures of 15, 20 million euros, I'm not sure that's the best use of that money. No, and I think last year was a different situation where Brekolo decided he didn't want to stay and whether we would have signed him, we don't know. And then the Priot thing dragged along. I mean, I'm not, I'm not massively keen on Priot coming back next season. I don't, I'm not sure he's an upgrade necessarily on the two we've got, especially with his injury record. And um, 
really I know he's been in and out of the team at Leicester. Um but having said that, he may be a very easy pickup in the summer if Leicester do go down. And I can't remember his contractual situation either. Um but yeah, I thought it was interesting. And then Caramo um got a start as well, and I thought he was really good for most of the game and, and worked really hard and just was able to take on players and, and his close control in certain situations was um something we don't really have in the final third and, and that little bit of pace as well. But I will say that lad cannot last 90 minutes. And after about, it, he was blowing smoke at about 75 minutes. I think, and I think Juric may have wanted to keep him on for the 90 minutes just to show he could do 90 minutes. But after about 83 minutes, he literally broke his back. The batteries a, went and... Uh, <laughs> I think there was a, there was a counter-attack where he was on sort of like the left-hand side of the... um the pitch and he basically just it was like he just stopped he like i i thought because i was watching it in the, in the car coming back um back from an, a weekend away and i thought uh, i didn't have any commentary on so i thought the referee had blown the whistle for some whatever reason but no it was literally him just getting his breath back because he was so shattered um but yeah no i thought it was a very good performance from him and probably something which i'm not sure if he mentioned in the last podcast is that there has been some talk that um burnley are interested in in signing Jan Caramo in the summer, I'm not sure how much uh, sort of we can take into that and whether it's a reliable source, but I think this probably shows that his performances for Torino have been sort of spotted elsewhere by scouts and, and Premier League sides. And I think if we were, when he signed back in back on deadline day in August, if we thought about well, we we can't afford to lose Jan Caramo, I think we'd been we'd have been very surprised at having that narrative to, to talk about. But yeah, he's been one of the pleasant surprises of the season. I think when we, when we at the end of the, the season do a sort of awards or, or sort of end of season review, he'll probably somebody features quite quite heavily in, in being a, a really underrated member of this squad. Yeah, well, there's also an argument with Radonjic probably staying and hitting some form. Caramo, the club do have an option on and he also has an option uh, we've talked about Vlasic and Ranchuk. That kind of your kind of quota of traquatistas or attacking players could could potentially stay the same. Um, and then there's an argument: what would you do at the, at the very top end to have an auto a, a kind of higher quality alternative to to Sanabria? Um, I think I think you... is, yeah. Sorry to sorry to get in, but I think you just is talked about the the wing backs of being an area where. Previously in in Verona, players got into sort of were approaching double figures in terms of goals, whereas Singo, Aina, Lazaro, Voivoda, Rodriguez, when he played there, obviously aren't a goal threat particularly. Um, so whether that is a an area if, if we do have that sort of Traquatista line sort of set for the next season, then that's where we look in in terms of improvement for the following season. Yeah, I just hope we don't sign Lazovic from Verona because. I don't. I know he's been a good player for them, but age profile. I mean, Juric has never really seemed very keen on players over thirty. Anyway, he's never really seemed keen on having centre forwards who score too many goals. But as as well, but yeah. So it's interesting your point. I think the only wing back we have is Singa, who's who's gets into the final third and um, and especially aerially as well can be a threat. Um, I think the only final thing of Rona from me, can someone get Dembasek a, a pair of cycling shorts that matches shorts? There's, there's, yeah, there's, there's blue, blue ones are a bit a bit harsh on the eye. One of my highlights from the game on Sunday was potentially the least at least graceful bit of football I think I've ever seen uh, this, probably in a, a good number of years, where um, a rare appearance from uh, Renato Vieira, he sort of stumbles his way into the box um, not particularly not particularly gracefully, but somehow finds its way to Dembasek. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah, the the move breaks down. But yeah, I think I I, I saw it as uh, somebody had, had clipped the video on on Twitter as well because yeah, it was I, uh, it was in this sort of dying dying moments of the game. I, yeah, there's a few things on that. I it would have been great if uh, Ronaldo Vieira scored after on the week we did our British <laughs> special. I thought it was quite good when he came came on for those few minutes. Um, admittedly a game stretch. And what's interesting there is he had a right go at sec for not calling for the ball. I don't know if you noticed, but I know. 
So I thought it was quite interesting in terms of in terms of communication. He yeah, he basically could have released the ball. I mean, if, if Sek had called for it, but I mean, Sek is um, what six three, six two, six three. And uh, did you not see him? Uh, I don't know, but Sek, yeah, is Sek gonna ever score? The most incredible thing about this season, and again, we're probably verging into territory that we'll we'll discuss under the podcasts, but. Antonio Sanabria was probably going to be in the running for our player of the season. And he was dropped for Dembasek in January for Fiorentina away. Um, well, is is Dembasek going to be the solution with Sanabria out this weekend? We'll, we'll talk about Fiorentina in, in, in a minute. Did you want to talk about um, Bongiorno just quickly as well? Oh, you're, yeah, you're, it's a very good point. Yeah, I mean, I think I said it said it up top. Uh, the lad is... does not deserve your criticism. Um, I've, done a, and... I've, done, I've done a total 180. He done it well. Yeah, he's um, yeah. I thought defensively he was yeah okay. Um, albeit under you know Milan Juric, I looked at Milan Juric because I, I Juric came out of this horrible quote about um, if only we had a striker like Milan Juric, uh, it would give us options in terms of aerial threat. And I thought, please, we're not going to sign Milan Juric next season, are we? I thought, just go and look at his goal scoring record. It's abysmal. He scored once a season, which was against us. Um, Bristol City in the Championship, he it was seven, eight goals. Um, there was a Serie B season with Salernitana, who scored about four. I, 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 the guy does not score goals. I don't care. Like, if you want to buy a big dude, you know, or whatever, stick Vanya up there. But yeah, I just, I'm really worried that Milan Juric is, is I, I'll be calling. For I feel Juric. like he... I'll be calling. For, I'll be calling for Juric's head if that happens. I feel like whatever his age is, I think he's five years older. So well, I I just picture I think he's in his in early thirties, but he's probably in his late twenties. No, he's thirty two. Thirty two. Okay, that that that's is pretty been, accurate. He's been thirty two for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, just on just on Bongiorno, and which is probably interesting because that's uh, last season. Juric actually gave Bremer a really tough time when he was playing for Salernitana, and and I think we've discussed in the podcast that actually Bremer. Would look would look really really good against your sort of top strikers in the league, but struggle against your sort of lesser quality strikers like like Milan Juric. Um, but obviously having Bongiorno has got that additional aerial threat. Juric was totally sort of nullified in a in an attacking fa- uh, phase. But I, only just watching back um, Vlasic's goal, which may be front runner for the goal of the season so far. Did you notice where Alessandro Bongiorno is when uh, it goes in? Is he is he running down the wing on the side? He's on the right. He's on the right wing. Yeah. Now but that's. But that's he, yeah. He yeah, created he, the space. He just plays. He just. But even when he plays as a left centre back, I think he has got that little bit of three freedom to roam around and and create those overlaps. But Schurz didn't come back into the side, so he's playing on the centre of the back three. So really, the the probably your last sort of um, block of, of defence, really. You're sort of main trusted centre-back. And yeah, he's up on the right-hand side to, to create an overlap. So yeah, bit of um, brave, I'm guessing it's from tactical instruction from Juric. So yeah, bit of um, brave play that obviously did did need Vlasic to fire one in from 20 yards. But yeah, obviously paid off. Um, yeah, I think the other interesting thing is Andrew Gravion's not been seen, I'm not sure since the win at Lazio. Right, the, the worst th- cameo performance. Well, one of the worst cameo performances of the season, and I think we've the deadline, oh, the automatic trigger to sign him, has this week. So it's interesting that we've not seen seen much of him, and whether that's an indication, whether it was also an indication of whether we've coffee because there was a time when Gigi was out of the team and Gigi's out of contract, or whether there's whether the Gigi situation has changed. I th- I th- again, we, I think we're probably going into things that we'll probably get to talk about in later podcasts. But yeah, I think depending on what Gigi wants in terms of a renewal, I think it is a conversation to be had as long as it's not ridiculous money because I think the money to replace him with a somebody who knows, like you said, somebody he's now played under Juric for two seasons, providing obviously Juric is staying as well. I think it, it's a non-brainer to to keep him at the club because he, he's fitting in. We at the start of this podcast, we were probably talking about Kofi Gigi mistakes, and I don't think we've spoken about one all season. He, he's 
just become a really solid player in this in this team and, and obviously does his job very, very well. All right. Before before we talk about Fiorentina, are you ready for a bit of Toropedia? Oh, are you ready um, to get your first point of the season? Well, that sounds like Southampton. So, uh, yeah. yeah, well, uh, sounds like Southampton start to the championship. But I will... Um, yeah, I'll do. I'll do my best. I'll try and try and get uh, my first point. Okay, uh, I'm going to give you the years this year because Ooh. because I think well, I think you're very you'll get the vibe of this one quite quickly. You'll get you'll get where it's heading, but yeah, um, but yeah. So I think the years will will help. So 1939 to 1941, Pro Vercelli, 28 appearances. 18 goals. 1941 to 1943, Spezia, 63 appearances, 25 goals. 1944, Bielese, 15 appearances, 8 goals. 1945 to 49, Torino, 115 appearances, 36 goals. Uh, I don't think I'll be spoiling it for anyone to say that... um, this player was one of the the victims of the of the Superga air disaster, uh, so the stats finish in nineteen forty nine. Um, I'll just repeat those for for the people listening. Um, so I won't do the years because I think we've we've got there now. But uh, Provercelli twenty eight eighteen, Spezia sixty three twenty five, Bielese fifteen eight, Torino one hundred fifteen thirty six. Um. We'll give the answer at the start of part two after the Fiorentina discussion. Uh, you got how are you feeling? Obviously, I know I know it's a player from Grande Torino, so I feel like I can just go down the list and I know who it isn't, and I can probably get an answer based on that. As long as he, and given the the appearances, hundred fifteen thirty six, I think it would be somebody who started the majority of those games in that period. So. I've got a potential answer in in mind, but I might just double check and work well, I'll out. Google, my, uh... Go, uh, double check on Google. <laughs> I mean, I've got my I've got my pad and paper here. I just write down okay. the uh, grandes. Okay, I'll give you one more sure stat. I'll give one. you. I'll give everyone one more stat. Seven appearances for Italy, one goal. Um. So, all right, we'll we'll come back to that in a minute. We'll give you give you ten minutes or so to think about it. Uh, Rob for his. Uh, Alexa app to, to read him the list of oh, my Alexa. Just, my, my Alexa. My Alexa. Yeah, could you ask the, could you ask the question again, please? <laughs> um, Alexa's literally uh, beeping at me now. Um, yeah, we'll get we'll give the answer shortly. Anyway, Fiorentina, Rob, uh, a, a friendly team of ours. They're let's admit it. It's a great time to play them. They're playing Basel later today in the second leg of their conference league match. They then play the Coppa Italia final next week against Inter. They are a rival for eighth place, but they're already in Europe and in cup finals where we want ahead. So that's got to be their priority. Um, they've got had do have a deep squad of quite similarly quality quality players. So I don't think they'll necessarily come with the Primavera, but I think which we, which is my preference to be honest. Which which is your preference? That might, the, that might be the only way we score three goals in a game. Yeah, so but you got to say Torino. I'm quite happy with Juric's outlook at the moment. He seems quite motivated for this eighth place. If we are to get eighth place, this is the most winnable game because we go to Spezia fighting for their lives, and then into the final day. Yes, they could be distracted, but they could also need the points for Champions League next season. Um, Fiorentina, Rob, last ten at home. How many have we lost against Fiorentina? Yeah, at home. Uh, we'll try and work out whether one of them would I have been at. Potentially not. Might be a little bit longer than that. But I think up until recently, we had quite a bad record. So I'll go for three of the ten we've lost. Last ten, we've only lost one at home. Oh, wow. So another the, another it, thing uh, I actually, I actually <laughs> don't know anything about Torino. Well, I think we did. I think in the late 90s and probably the start of you supporting Toro, we had a bit of a bad run. But... The one we lost was when uh, Veratu missed a penalty saved by Sirigu, and then they got a 94th minute penalty, which uh, uh, that uh, French striker with the lips tattooed on his neck scored. What was this? Who played for Kievo as well? Um, 
Teru, was it? Uh, oh, yeah, Teru yeah, yeah, Teru. Um, but we've had, yeah, we've had, I mean, we had a pretty disastrous one where they went down to nine men and we needed uh, that guy to score a late equaliser for us. Who, who was it, Peter? Uh, yeah, we run a, run a kind of, yeah, we won't talk about him till he, re- well, no, he's going to sign for Monza in the, in the summer, I guess. I guess. But um, the other interesting thing was, yeah, Fiorentina starting to have a bad record in Turin. We obviously have a chronically bad record there. We won for the first time since 1976, the Scudetto season. Um, earlier this season, I think that was in our Scudetto season. Did we go as champions of Italy, or was it in the Champions of Italy season? I know we. I think. Up... I think. It, I think we were were already the champions. Yeah, I'm just going to verify that uh, very quickly because I have I have a stat on this. But 1976, 95, 96. Uh, uh, no, we went there on the fourth of January and won one nil. Uh, oh no! Oh no! We won both the Scudetto season and the following ah. season one nil. So okay, which doesn't cha- oh, which does change my stat because we did the double over that season as well. So completely ruined my stat. But uh, just, the last. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, sorry. Just uh, I'll let you finish up, and then I've got another stat for you as well. Okay. Well, I was going to say yeah, I I misresearched it, but the last time we did the double was nineteen seventy six seventy seven, um, when. Uh, yeah, it was the last time we went away and then we beat them 2-0 at home. But we also did the double winning 1-0 in Florence in the Scudetto winning season. We beat them 4-3 at home towards the end of the season. And my ex-girlfriend's um, uncle scored for Fiorentina oh. in that match. So that's what I wanted to bring up. And, that, well, uh, it's actually, I've, I've, had to, I've actually really had to shoehorn that in. But uh, <laughs> And Pulici, Pulici got a hat-trick in that match as well. So I'll, I'll try yeah. to shoehorn this in as well because it came up on my uh, memories uh, earlier today, so nine years ago today was the infamous yep. uh, Torino two, well Fiorentina two, Torino two, Alessio Cerchi missed penalty match. Uh, was that nine so years the, ago? That was nine years ago today. So uh, I was there when we thought that uh, uh, Cerchi's last minute missed penalty was going to be crucial, and, and we'd miss out on European football. Effectively, that that didn't turn out to to be what happened. But yeah, just um, the starting lineup for that day. So, oh, you, you want me to guess it? I'll I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. See if you can uh, pick out a couple of um, some some great names. So, Padelli in goal, Tamio Glick, Giuseppe Vives played as a centre back, Emiliano Moretti, uh, Nikola Maximovic, uh, Omar El Kaduri, Yasmin Kertic, um Panagiotis Taxidis, uh, Matteo Damian, Alessio Cerchi, Riccardo Maggiorini. That was a slow team, wasn't it? Apart from Cerchi. I mean, and how maybe, that side maybe, finished. Maybe El Cadori, but yeah. How that side finished seventh, I'm not quite sure. But um, yeah, it did. And yeah, 57 points we got in that season. So I think that is potentially, yeah, potentially out of our reach. We'd have to win all three games to. To, uh, to beat that tally. All right. Well, prediction time for Fiorentina. I'll go first. Uh, I go three-one Toro. I'll go for the three goals. I think it there might be a scare. I think they may go either one nil up or maybe it'll be quite competitive for an hour, and then hopefully our extra motivation will kick in. Uh, so uh, we haven't talked about Sanabria is out, which is a concern because we'll either have to start Pellegri knowing he won't last 90 minutes or we're going to start with Dembasek up front, which I'm not sure or, I'm going to see working as well as in a home game. Vlasic is a false nine, which he started, he played there a little bit at the start of the season. Just think, to continue his playing at every possession position in the uh, attacking uh, uh, I think, bit of the pitch. Uh, I think Caramel and... Um, Vlasic have been really not worked when they've been the central striker. So I would prefer to see Pellegrini and we just see if we can get away with it. And then maybe maybe we have to change things up in the last 10, 15 minutes. So, all right. Oh, sorry, I've said 3-1. What are you going for, Rob? Uh, I, I, this is one where I'd probably prefer to give this prediction a little bit after the game, after Fiorentina play in Basel tonight. But... I think if they were to win that game, they're going to be even less motivated for this one and they'll be focusing on the Coppa Italia. I think if they were to lose uh, the tie uh, against Basel, they will probably be wanting to get a good performance in before the Coppa Italia final. Um, but 
I think they will win tonight. So I will go for Torino 2, Fiorentina 0. All right. So um, onwards and upwards. So we're going to, yeah, we've we've dealt with the here and now in part one. We're going to give the Toropedia answer shortly, but we're going to be, yeah, we're going to be a bit nostalgic. We're going to talk, as it's the Coppa Italia final next week, we're going to talk about the last time Toro won it, which was 30 years ago. 32 di gioco effettivo, il calcio d'angolo del Torino ancora sguizzato, inseguito dalle nostre telecamere si attende ovviamente il triplice fischio del direttore di gara la Roma che prova ancora dalle retrovie ma sguizzato, preparato il cronometro ha preparato il fischietto e il Torino vince la Coppa Italia Welcome back, episode 45 of Talking Toro in part one we I challenged Rob to the latest Toropedia guest to player. Um, Rob, how are you feeling? You got an answer? I have got an answer. It, to be honest, it was the player I thought it was straight away. So if it was, if it wasn't for the time, if you had to like announce the player straight away, I would. This is the same player I would have given. I then also worked out, given the number of games that he played for Torino, he would have been a regular in the sort of Grande Torino eleven that everybody knows. So I just, I did take the time to write that all out just to make sure it couldn't have been anybody else. Uh, but the answer is Eusebio Castigliano. Eusebio Castigliano is right. You've got your first point, boy. Uh, Rob, ce- Rob, ce- Rob celebrating like Lianco did when he scored that <laughs> consolation, crappy yeah. consolation goal at Forest. So, well I'll done. Take, I'll, I'll take my point. But yeah, no, I'd say, yeah, it, it was, to be honest, I wasn't 100% sure, but I based, I knew I discounted everybody else. So I knew that, that had to be the answer. Well done. You're off the mark. Thank you very the comeback, much. The, com- the comeback is on. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, wait wait for uh, next next week, Craig, if Peter, somebody made uh, four loan spells in uh, four, four loan appearances in uh, 1956. Just remember how generous I was this week, given you the years. <laughs> but, that is yeah, very true. That is very true. It could have been a lot harder. But, all right, talking of hard, um, Torino winning another Coppa Italia. Um, so yeah, I guess partly because it's the Coppa Italia final next week, and it is—it's actually thirty years almost since uh, it will be in June, mid-June, thirty years since Toro last won a major trophy. It was the Coppa Italia of '93. We beat Roma. Um, well, we beat Roma on away goals after a two-legged final, winning three nil at home. It looked pretty comfortable, and then we go to Rome a week later, lose five-two. Um, conceding three penalties. Uh, we'll talk about that that in a minute. But yeah, we ended up going through and away goals. Um, we, we played the last twenty five minutes five two down. So, uh, it, I mean, absolute kind of miracle that we didn't end up losing six two. I guess a bit of context uh, from well about the teams going into that match and also where I followed it and obviously. Uh, Rob, you've, I think you've seen the highlights, the extended highlights for the first time this week. I'd actually revisited and I've watched the highlights, which interesting kind of, uh, yeah, how you have certain memories of the game and the realities. But anyway, Torino went into that final. We think this is about the all-conquering, really impressive Torino team of the early 90s. But Torino finished ninth that season and Roma finished 10th. So it was a Coppa Italia final. Um, I'd say there's a lot more weight on the Coppa Italia final at that time. So I think both teams kind of, uh, there wasn't, you know, the same charge for the Champions League places. There was, there was very few European places going through the league. So Torino Roma probably switched off a bit towards the end of that season. Um, Roma finished 10th. A few weeks before the final, Torino went to Rome and beat Roma 5-4 in the league, which kind of set a bit of a precedence for what was, what was to happen in the cup final. Uh, Torino that season drew 17 games uh, out of 34, so half the league fixtures. And this is when it was two points for a win. It was one of the last years where it was two points for a win. Rome had also drew 17 games and only got eight wins. In today's money, that's 54 points for Torino, which Juric's army this year may well better. So a little bit of context. We've got, we go back with, Rose-tinted glasses. Yes, year bef- in the years before Torino had finished top five, uh, they'd lost on away goals the season four to Ajax in the final of the UEFA Cup. 
it was a different reality, but I don't think we should forget that, you know, this Torino team did finish ninth and got 54 points. So, um, yeah, that's the situation going into it. I, I've got confused memories of this. Um, I remember what I think what happened was my dad had a friend who had Italian TV or access to satellite and recorded me both the games. I probably watched them pretty soon afterwards, but a very vivid memory of the second leg. There's absolutely no way of following. I was what, 13, 14 years of age at the time. Basically I had to wait for CFAX in the UK, the European football results page to update. Um, so it's pretty nerve wracking. And then when it came up five two, Torino uh yeah, Torino win on away goals. Um, yeah, it's a very, very kind of clear memory. And then you kind of then you get a video cassette a week later when you go and watch the match. So that was kind of the yeah, a little bit the context for me. But it yeah, it was a massive kind of yeah, my very formative years being a Torino fan. It was obviously you think, oh yeah, winning the I remember at the time as well, it was what, sixteen 17 years after the Scudetto win. So it, it was talked about as a big drought at the time. Um, but yeah, we've gone through. But it was, you know, you kind of thought, yeah, it's going to be quite a regular thing. Every decade we'll, we'll win a Coppa Italia. And we'll, we'll get to the end of this segment and talk a little bit about what it will take for Torino to win, the, win, a, win a Coppa Italia again. Um, but yeah, that's kind of a bit the context going into it. It's like interesting. We can talk a bit about the, the lineups and the teams and how the matches went. But I guess... Rob is just getting what were your without maybe delving too much into details, but what were your kind of like headline sensations of, of just going back and watching that footage from the early nineties? The just even watching a game, even the pace of which the game's being played, even even in the second leg where obviously Roma are coming back, it still seems to be like a very slow paced game, but a little bit different from today where I suppose if you're going into a game three 0 behind you'd probably go all at them. It doesn't really look like Roma do that. It looks like they're just sort of still quite slow paced game and, and sort of willing to wait until they get their opportunities, which obviously eventually come via the bouncy spot as well. But yeah, a very different different very different times of sort of speed of the game. And again, I'm not sure if this is anything that you know about further, but it looks like towards the end of the first half I think this would have been in the first leg. There seems to be a little bit of um, crowd trouble and there seems to be uh, flares going from, the, I think, into the sort of Roma section, whether that was something which was ever reported on or whether that was just commonplace of, of Italian football in the 90s, which thankfully isn't isn't happening or isn't as, as sort of commonplace nowadays. But yeah, it seems like there was almost, whether that's mentioned on the commentary at all, I'm not, I'm not so sure because I, um, I was listening to, to it without commentary, but... It was, yeah, that seems to be quite a big, a big point at the game, sort of at the the halfway stage of the first leg. Yeah, it's, it's one of the points I brought up as well. So, I mean, we set the scene a little bit. Um, both big crowds for both legs. Um, the Olympico in the second leg was pretty much sold out. They said it was sold out a month before, and the Delhi LP was uh, near sold out. I think it was fifty five thousand. They said at least in the commentary, Roma took five or six thousand. Um, and in the commentary, they said it was fights between Roma fans and the police. Um, but yeah, even watching Channel 4 in the early 90s, it was quite common to see just that, yeah, that tear gas everywhere and fans charging, the stadiums being quite big and that space for fans to charge up, up and down. So yeah, from what I said, it wasn't Torino fans launching anything into the Roma end. It was it was kind of fights between Roma fans and the police. But yeah, there were kind of few few things a little bit, set in the scene of the early 90s like all the players black boots tight shorts um all of the coaching staff have got these kind of yes like slip-on shoes and uh suits and slip-on shoes um all of the advertising hoardings are are for italian brands i noticed so it's like uh, i don't know there was um Sam Montana, maro lucano parmigiana reggiana beretta everywhere it was a very italian company presence on the side of the pitch there's um, there's, there's one which is a i believe a boiler company that is still at the grande torino cosmogas which is behind could, the maracona could, could well be there's certain flags as well from torino, torino fans which may may have been updated but there's certain flags that look very similar to flags which are still um still there now actually there was a flag 
Uh, there's a group called the Doors, which I think took their f- their font from the from the from the band the Doors. And I remember seeing that a lot when I went to the Delhi Alpi, and I don't remember seeing that flag for years. But so it was quite nostalgic, nostalgic seeing that and and setting the scene. And also the other thing, you look back and there were players who at the time for me looked really old. Um, and as you get older, like um, Daniele Fortunato has scored the third goal for three. I always thought it looked like a really old looking guy. And actually, he looks pretty young. Uh, uh, that that that's straight. And you see people like um, Antonio Comi coming on for Roma. Um, yeah, just looking, looking a lot, a lot younger. But, but yeah, I guess going into the first leg, um, I'll quickly give the three no team. So it's Marcajani in goal. Um, it was Bruno Anoni with like the markers behind Luca Fusi, um, Musi. And Sordo would have been the, the kind of wing backs. Um, then you had Fortunato, Venturian, and Chifo in midfield, and Aguilera and Salenzi up front. And then you had Anoni went off injured at half time. We didn't see him again uh, in the second leg. And, and uh, Sandro Coes, who had pretty big say in both legs, um, came on at half time. So just on that first leg, and this is the other thing uh, over the two legs, Torino were pretty lucky. Um, I always, there's a, I didn't. Uh, Roma missed some pretty big chances in the first half of the first leg, um, and just Torino were just were very aggressive, quite long ball. Um, Salenzi, I thought, was brilliant in both games, but yeah, looking back, I don't think yeah Torino certainly weren't worthy of a three nil win in the first leg. I'd say, but in that first leg, um, Salenzi scores the first goal, which ridiculously got credited as an own goal of Benedetti and this was the other thing about Italian football at the time is if anything took the slightest hairline deflection it went down as an own goal um, and then the other two goals it is, it is a bit of a scuffed finish where you think if he'd hit it a little bit better it probably wouldn't have gone in I think it needs to be that scuffed finish to, scuffed finish to get the deflection to go into the bottom corner to trick the keeper no, exactly. Yeah, exactly. He, 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 yeah, he didn't hit it too well. So, so to say. And then his goal in the second leg, without jumping far too forward, his foot was like a reverse with the other foot on the other side with a much yeah. cleaner strike. So, um, and then we had a a scrappy goal from Coes who'd come on at half time to make it two nil, and then Fortunato makes it three nil. Uh, and I think that's a, a probably an underrated finish in, as well in terms of the angle that it comes in. A bit of a goalkeeping. I'm not sure if you'd say goalkeeping mistake, but yeah. So. To sort of score from that difficult angle to have that idea of, of going for goal rather than just sort of playing the ball back for for a teammate. Yeah, it was. I mean, Fermani in the Roma keeper is a pretty uh, nice early nineties goalkeeping shirt, but it's very garish and very bright, and whether that put people off. But yeah, nice finish from Fortunato, three nil. Um, and then yeah, do you any kind of other thoughts on the first leg from you? It, it was just to me. And I'm, I'm aware, I think I did some research, but the idea of a of a final being two-legged was just alien to me. I know we get used to it with sort of knockout ties in, in the Champions League, but just to have that, imagine the nerve for the fans going, even though, we, even with a 3-0 lead, but then for the rest, you had a whole week to wait until the other other leg at the final, effectively half-time in that tie. Um, and I know, yeah, I think I did some research and Capitale was a two-legged uh, final until sort of a lot later than I than I realised. Um, but yeah, I think that probably shows the sort of nineties aspect of the of the game that it was. Yeah, a two. So you, you you've got a final which is three 0 and then you've got to wait another week into into the second leg. Although I suppose with Roma being the opponent, that probably would have been the location for the final. So. If it was a, a one leg, one leg of affair, Roma would have had that home advantage. Sure, and I think the, and the other thing is very Italian lineups because of the three foreigners rule. So Torino had two foreigners, uh, Roma had three uh, in the first leg. Uh, just a few things on the players because it's quite interesting to go back. Um, Luca Marcajani, I thought, was really poor in both legs. Yeah. He he was spilling the ball the whole time. He, he didn't get he anywhere all... near. Didn't get anywhere near the penalties either. Despite despite jumping about a minute before the penalty was taken, he got to, no. Well, we'll come on to the penalties in a minute, but um, yeah, Marcajani not his best games. He was always a very a relatively small, very agile goalkeeper, but just looked very nervous. Um, 
I thought Giorgio Venturi in, in the Torino midfield was just such an underrated kind of register tidy player. And, and it's one of my like favourites was, was Gianluca Sordo on the right, who was the player who hit the bar against Ajax in the last minute. And he was, he looked, he was always a bit of a kind of poor man's Lentini. He looked, he was friends with Lentini. He went to Milan a bit like Lentini. He wasn't as good as Lentini, but similar haircut, um, similar kind of, yeah, kind of off, off, off the field reputation as well. But I had pace to burn um, and, and kind of, I thought was looking back one of our better players and uh, in both legs. And then the, the only other thing I'd like to mention on there, it's quite funny, was Torino playing in the final of Coppa Italia. I don't know if you noticed who was on co-commentary. Oh, it's uh, Roberto, uh, Roberto Bottega? Yeah, Re- Juventus legend Roberto Bottega. And who did they go to at halftime for a comment? <laughs> I, I might have missed that. A, I might have missed yeah, that. A half-time, half-time oh, they go to Moji. Luciano Moji. He wasn't... Yeah. He, I can't remember if... I think he'd I left think he Torino. Oh, he left Torino at that point. I, I, I can't remember. He may have been... I couldn't figure out, and I didn't research it, but it was about the time he'd left Torino, but he may have still been there. But yeah, it was pre But it was quite funny just seeing that those two guys who were going to have such an influence later in the decade are kind of already, yeah, um, on screen. It was just like even listening to Betica was really struggling to credit Torino for for anything. All right, then we go to Rome for the second leg. It's a week later. I think the other reason for the lack of pace, maybe, or lack of intensity in the... Late stage, second leg, it was, it was bloody hot in Rome as well. And I think, um, and obviously fewer substitutions at the time. Um, so this is the main thing about the second leg is it's often get comedy. So the referee, uh, Squizzato of Verona, is one of the only Italian referees I'll always remember where he's from. Carlo Squizzato, it was his last ever game. And the Torino thing has always been... Yeah, he he wanted to make himself the storyline, so he gives Roma three penalties. And looking back, uh, and I'm going to put you on the spot too much, but how many of those three did you think were penalties? Because Torino, like, Torino fans always feel like none of them were. Yeah, but... well, I've I've always felt that I'm not sure if it's conversations with you that we've had in the past, or from other things that I've read or listened to or watched, where the I think the consensus is that. None of them were penalties, but I think two of the three are relatively valid. I think the first one's debatable, but I think the second and third, you can see why they were given. Yeah, I don't think the first one is. Um, and uh, there's a couple of things in context. We are looking. We should be looking at this through the eyes of the early 90s where there was no VAR. It was, it was harder to get a penalty. Uh, the game was different. But yeah, the first one, Coris on Janini is really soft. I think it's a yeah. bit of a dive. Uh, but then he probably sets the tone if he gives that one. The second one is where Hessler uh, cuts in, and I think it's Moosey. St- the quality of the coverage wasn't, the replays weren't conclusive enough. He could have dived. Yeah. Um, it was a very modern penalty. It was a sort of penalty you see in the modern game. And the third one was probably fair, fair copy. I was going to say, Coris was playing at centre back, which wasn't his position. And he, had an absolute mare uh, and he kind of manhandles Janini to the ground. So I think two or three were probably valid. Um, yeah, that was my, that was my felt, felt feeling as well. Whereas I think I, going into the game, I was, I think I, I'd, I'd heard that they were sort of three, like basically Janini fa- had fallen over and he got three penalties and then scored them all. And yeah, that essentially wasn't the reality. Um, But yeah, to just go, go through the game, Roma get a penalty um, after, about half an hour, about 20 minutes, Giannini scores. Torino, and so away goals are obviously crucial. Torino get a crucial away goal with a uh, great Salenzi strike before half time. And then, uh, I don't know, it's like a Torino and the Juric come out in the second <laughs> half, concede two quick goals, another Giannini penalty. Then, uh, so Rizzatelli first for a header from a corner, and then uh, Giannini, another penalty. But then we get another dec- decisive away goal. Um, I think it's Fortunato heads. On like a double header in the box to Salenzi, yeah. um, and I'd say that's probably one of the most famous. That I think that is the image of that final, which I definitely already seen before. Salenzi's header and celebration, and interestingly, after I googled him, he was actually born in Rome. Yeah, he was, he was and uh, there, yeah, there's that image, and there's uh, Carlos Aguilera on Marco Gianni's back with the flag. I think it's always uh, after the match is always. Yeah, quite quite an iconic image. Um, 
So Roma scored their fourth penalty on I think, 55 minutes to make it 4-2. Third, third um, penalty. Third penalty. Their fourth goal, third penalty. It wasn't fair. that bad. Um, and then with 25 minutes to go, uh, they get a free kick. And this was before Sinisa Mihailovic was probably really well-known as a free kick taker. But yeah, quite... I, I thought the way he takes the free kick was a little strange. It looks, and that probably makes sense in the fact that he didn't really have this reputation of being this great free kick taker. Because you think now when somebody takes a free kick or is a free kick specialist, it's a little bit, there's like a a routine and there's there's sort of, it's very precise and like every sort of free kick is almost taken in the same way and like something's going to be off. It looks like there's really good angle and footage of, of the way that when his foot makes contact with the ball, it does just look like he's just hitting it really, really hard. Um, so yeah, whether that sort of was a, a start of him sort of taking his free kicks a little bit more seriously. Yeah, he's quite side on to it, wasn't he as well? Yeah. It was um but yeah, incredibly, with twenty five minutes to go, Roma at home, the referee in a very generous mood. <clears throat> it was very tense, and then there's also six minutes injury time added, which was pretty unheard of back then as well. So it was almost like yeah, Roma got got as much time as possible. But I don't remember them creating too much after that. Torino shut up shop and it was then it was great to see some of the shit you see today. So Torino get a throw in deep uh deep in Roma's half in late deep in injury time. And I think it might be Sordo who throws it to someone to take and then Pasquale Bruno comes over and says neither of you two are taking the throw in, pushes them away and tells someone 30 yards behind to come up and take the throw in. Yeah, it's the sort of thing, but it was. It's and quite I don't in, think I don't quite... think time wasting was penalised as it as often as it is now. Whereas literally, no. like something like that, the first instance of that, you, you the referee would would give a yellow card. Where I think it was almost, I think, I think you're still only a couple of years away from the back pass rule being implemented. So, like, it, I, I think I've I've read previously when the back back pass rule was part of the game. It makes you think, how on earth did any team ever lose a lead? Because if you're ever in danger, you just give it back to your keeper and just hold on to it for 10 minutes or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think it's... Uh, the. I think the interesting thing to remember is actually Torino in no stage of that game were losing. No. Even, even at 0-0 in the first leg, obviously, as soon as they start to take the lead, there was no, there was no stage where they would not have at least taken it again to, to extra time or um, well, there was a, there was a way goal, so they would never. The, as soon as they scored that first goal in Rome, they had that sort of comfort, and they even though I think the scoreline probably suggests it was it was nervy, and knowing they were only one goal away from from losing it, it, it would have been potentially interesting had had they had to sort of they Roma had, had got that goal with it, so they were in the lead. Yeah, but I imagine. Watching those last twenty five minutes live must have been one of the most torturous experiences. I think you'd have been doing the laundry, I think, and uh, yeah, yeah, you wouldn't have been watching. No, quite glad, quite glad. And the other interesting thing is, apart from Giannini, all of the goal scorers across two sides played for Torino at some point in their career. So you had Rizzatelli, Mihailovic. I mean, Mihailovic didn't play for Torino, but obviously coached Torino. And then you had plenty of connections, like Roberto Muzzi came on. Uh, both legs, a very young Muzzi, uh, Antonio Comi who'd, and Benedetti who'd gone from Torino to Roma and have since come back at various stages to work for Torino. Um, so yeah, quite a lot of crossover between the the two teams. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was the last trophy and probably at the time, not not strictly yeah. true. If we're not if we're not counting the Eusebio Cup, no, we're not counting the Eusebio Cup. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just um, it's a real shame, and and a lot of it is down to Torino. We've obviously had years where we've been a Serie B team. We, we're never gonna. Uh, there's years we've just not taken it seriously because we've either not been good enough or concentrated on the league. But I feel like the last, I feel like at least under Cairo's presidency in Serie A, there's times that have been very frustrating where we've where we've gone to like Sampdoria last season, who weren't a particularly good team. Uh, we've beaten them. We ended up, we've beaten them four times in the last two seasons, but lose the Coppa Italia match by playing a, a weakened team. Um, so some of it is on us, but also just the format of this rank competition that A, the final is, you know, tends to, if the Rome team gets to the final, then they're playing at home. There's the fact that bigger clubs 
apart from the second leg or one of the legs of the semi-finals, will never play outside their home stadium. There's not a lot of jeopardy there, and it, that kind of format benefits the you know, team, the teams with the bigger squads. And it's just, I just think this competition is is really ripe for a shake-up just to have a, an open draw, home and away. You know, at least mix up that, at least draw the home and away matches, even if you keep the seeding. Um, and yeah, I just it's a big regret. This, this is close. A Torino came close the season after they got to semi final, losing to Serie B side, Serie B side Ancona. But this year was so frustrating. Uh, it's kind of a 50 50 match in Florence, and then we miss out on a double semi final with Cremonese which we would have been favourites to go through. And then Inter, yeah, I mean, Inter in the final at the moment looks a bit more difficult proposition than it did, say, six weeks ago. But Juric's Torino are pretty good in those matches against those sort of teams. And there's nothing to say we couldn't have we couldn't have taken it to a goal or taken it to a and, shootout. And, and unbeaten at the uh, Olympico this season. Yeah, so I guess that's, yeah, maybe we're moving in a, a direction where we're taking it more seriously. Um, but again, I just feel next season, it's also the other advantage of the higher we finish in the league this year, the better ranking we're going to get in the Coppa Italia, especially if we're top eight. I think that's not to be underestimated. You almost guarantee would be like in Fiorentina's position of getting a home game in the quarterfinals if we were to get to there. But you are going to have to go to a probably top four side and, and win away at some point. Um, which you know, maybe if you win in the FA Cup, you 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 end up having to do. But um, yeah, it's time to shake up the format, isn't it? It's it's dull seeing the same. The Scudetto's one thing, but there's a, should be a little bit more of a chance element to a cup competition, and and the the, the, the Italian football authorities have pretty much taken that away. And I think I think the temptation is to also mirror mirror the the FA Cup, where that is almost seen as maybe not massively in, in terms of letting regional teams uh take part but even even the FA Cup isn't particularly won by many other teams outside the a select a few but I suppose the the power in English football is more sort of there is only a couple of sides who probably have got the ability to win these tournaments. I would say with English football the biggest crime is a lot of mid table teams in the Premier League inexplicably field weakened teams. Whereas actually if an Aston Villa or a um, oh, mine's gone blank, but those kind of mid-ranking Premier League teams, uh, mid-table Premier League, or Crystal Palace or whoever, just say we're gonna we're gonna play our our strongest team in the FA Cup uh, and make it a focus. They're gonna do, you know, they're gonna do a lot better. I don't, I don't always think in English football. Maybe yeah, you'll get down to the final four. It gets a bit tougher, but there is. There is a there is a pathway with, with the way the draw works as well, but I do yeah I do take your point. There's been the tendency in the other countries um, for you know the top the, the the teams with more money to to dominate I, the competitions as well. I do think there's a given. Um, I'll get onto it, get into a related point to this as well that using having it as a more teams are available to take part in it, even if you just limit it to to Serie uh, C teams. You and that they were. If you say, say we were drawn to, um, let's say Gubbio, uh, that no matter what that draw was, we would go to Gubbio in the first round. So that, I think this is what they do in France, where no matter what the tie is, it is automatically swapped so that the home team gets the home advantage, and then that, uh, so the sorry, the lower ranking team gets the home advantage if they're in a different division, um, and then that would give sort of much needed funds for. For these sides in in the lower down in the pyra- in the pyramid, to again, Torino might not be a, a massive um, attraction, and could be have already played and played and beaten Torino in in recent memory. But obviously, if they play Milan, if they play Juventus or Inter, that could set them up in the same way that that sets up non-league sides in England for the next sort of five ten seasons. And we reading just a, a couple of pieces about the how much money is needed for teams who are getting promoted from Serie D to to get into, uh, I called it Serie C, it's actually called Liga Pro. Um, so the third tier of Italian football, it's, it, you need sort of 400,000 euros as a registration fee for your, your, your costs and um, 
and transport costs and your paying costs and things like that. The judicial registration fee is almost half a half a million euros, uh, and that is where we are seeing sides who are not able to fulfil their places in these divisions, leading to Juventus having an under twenty three team, and that's something that's been discussed for Atalanta and also for Torino. Um, I don't think it's as somebody who loves low league football in England and Italy, it's not something that I'm a big fan of. I think it, you're taking away from historical teams. We, we've discussed on this podcast about, uh, I think the first Torino game you were ever supposed to see was was Ravenna against Torino. Ravenna are currently in Serie D. These are sort of big cities in Italy who don't have a team in, in a professional league, which is a shame. And competitions like uh, a wider Coppa Italia would give much needed finances to to allow these sides to be in sort of where they're maybe their rightful place in Italian football you would think is between the second and third divisions um, I having said that if Torino do I think Torino have got some issues in terms of a, a location of where this under 23 side would play but it would give benefits as well to Torino which I'm, I wouldn't be averse to either because if you think of my priority being Torino and our results having a place that genetics can play regularly, competitively in sort of man's football um, where you're not, whilst obviously you can get that from the loan network, it's almost being, you could have a, a you could hire a coach who's going to play a really similar style of football to Juric and play exactly the same formation so that players can um Sort of link up between the two sides throughout the season. If we have an injury crisis, we we would take somebody who's who's performing well in that sort of same format, albeit in the third division. I think if you look at if you look, I hate to say it, but if you look at Juventus, they've had they've had a couple of young players break through who have come through that system already and and are now sort of starting in their in their first team. And it's I think it's an idea which I think Juric and Cairo have spoken about recently and are keen on the idea. I think the fact is it shouldn't be that. I think the wider picture is it shouldn't even be a potential. It shouldn't be an offer. We should, it's, a, it's a shame that there's there's clubs in the Italian football pyramid who can't take their places in a in a league because they can't afford it. And and I think if there's anything that we can do to assist that, and I think a, a revamp of the Coppa Italia is a, a really sensible way to to give clubs who who need it a little bit more money. I think money in Italian football is a, a wider issue. If you think Southampton are probably going to earn more money for finishing bottom of the Premier League than probably Atalanta will for finishing fifth or, or whoever it is. So I think there are there are certain things that need to be sort of considered in European football as a whole. Yeah, no, I think you made a lot of really strong points there. And I just I think it's just a shame in the Coppa Italia format that you're never going to get Juventus going to throw Vercelli away for a third round tie or you know it's just you're missing up certain matchups it's the it's it's a lot of the same stuff every year there's not there's not a lot of jeopardy in there there's not a lot of kind of romance there's not a lot of storylines um and I hope I know there is a movement in Italy to try and to try and get them to change the format but yeah let, let, let let's see but I'll just say I mean Torino I've been in 13 Coppa Italia finals, so 1-5, runner-up 8. And it's just, look at the decades, 1960s, uh, three finals, 1970s, two finals, 1980s, four finals, which we lost all of them, uh, 1990s, one final. And then nothing since. And then look at the te- all the other teams who've been to multiple Coppa Italia finals. Um They've all been in a final. You've either won one or been in the final in the last 20 years. Parma, Sampdoria, Milan, Napoli, Fiorentina, Lazio, Inter, Roma, Juventus. Uh, even Atalanta have been to two finals. Um, it's, yeah, it's been too long. Um, it's been really too long. Uh, kind of, yeah. And it's always a bit, it's, yeah, it's one of those points of the season where Torino go out the Coppa Italia. It's just, always one of the most disappointing moments because you know it's a great well it's another year without a trophy and it's a great way of getting into Europe as well so here's a here is a hypothetical question for you there which again is purely hypothetical because I don't think it is going to happen but say Torino did qualify for the Conference League this season would you rather we won the Conference League or the Coppa Italia would sort of European seeing Torino win a a domestic trophy or or seeing them win a European trophy be 
be sort of higher on your agenda? It's a really good question. I did think about it recently. It's difficult because I don't know where the conference leagues go in, and I'm fairly confident the Coppa Italia will always exist. And what I wouldn't want to happen is a conference league in like six years' time to just be disbanded. Uh, and I suppose, you, but if you think of like Cup Winners' Cup back when it, I mean, I think true. did Vicenza get to the final of of that and. That is still sort of held in a little bit of regard. And I think the conference league, I think maybe they didn't get to the final. I think they played Chelsea, didn't they, in one of the the rounds of the Cup Wings Cup for Chenza. But I think there is, I do think there's something about a European run, which would be quite, quite interesting and and quite exciting. And, and having the potential, like say, said earlier on, the conference league would be a lot of an easier route to that. To doing that, I yeah. mean, think if the sides that that Fiorentina, no, no offense to them, and they've obviously had to get through the ties, but I wouldn't potentially say that they've played a side in their European run who you wouldn't fancy Torino to have beaten. Um, why didn't you? Why do you stick this up as a poll? What would you rather win the Conference League? You're probably right because we've not won a European trophy. Um, so yeah, it would just be nice to win something. Yeah, um, and. Uh, I think it was Europa League, Coppa Italia would definitely be Europa League. Yeah. Uh, Conference League, Coppa Italia, yeah, I'm a bit 50-50. Um, Let's see. I'm sure, I'm sure the the uh, results will probably echo that and probably be around 50-50. But yeah, for me, it would, I think it would depend if I was in a position to attend the games or attend the final of one of them. So if I was going to say which one would I prefer to attend, then... I'm not but sure. If I think it, maybe the opponent would have something to do with it. Yeah, as well. if you beat if you beat Juventus in the Coppa Italia final versus beating nice. um, Celta Vigo in the Conference League final, then that, there's that as well, isn't yeah. there? No, yeah, no, that, yeah, and that's yeah. that is a very fair point. I think that is. But, I think yeah, I think for, for for fans who I think European football has probably always been more of a a direction for us because we live outside of Italy, so that open, especially if we were to play an English team that opens up our, our chances of, of going to watch a game and, and it's not being sort of too too much travel whereas I, I think maybe for people in Italy they would be able to go and be a lot easier for them to go and watch the Coppa Italia final than it would for us potentially. But I think in terms of Torino's reputation winning the Conference League is going to be exposing you to more, more people than winning the Coppa Italia. So, yeah, that's um, true. But yeah, stick the poll up there. We'll give the results next week. Uh, next week, we may be back with another guest. Um, we've got something lined up, so it'll be another nostalgic tour if it is. Um, and um, in the meantime, Rob, for Totoro. For Totoro. <laughs>